listening to the Bones of Old New York Carmine Street Guitars podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Hewlidge. I'm sitting here with Rick Kelly and our, <laughs> and our producer, Mike the Mike, who did the sound for our movie, Carmine Street Guitars movie. Um, but yeah, what are we doing, Rick? We're going to sit and talk about guitars and shop life. And yeah, we're going to sit and talk about guitars and shop life and have all cool and guests. Our friends. All friends <laughs> Come and in. buddies and... Celebrities and non. Well, what's up, Cal? What, hey. what are you working on today? Um, today I'm going to be working on a couple of different things. I'm doing the finishing up on Randy's uh, baritone guitar, which is kind of an offset Jaguar with rare pickups, and it's a pretty neat build. And then I'm going to be working on a new that's, telly. Wait, that's the one with the... Uh, What's the theme on that one that the guy wanted? It's like this machine. Instead of this machine kills fascists, it's... Yeah, like Woody this Guthrie's machine, yeah. This Machine Kills Fascists, and then Pete Segerpold did the same thing on his banjo. He wanted something similar, but he wanted that to say that this guitar loves dot, dot, dot. And this you, machine yeah, loves, This yeah. machine loves, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. What else are you working on? Oh, and then after I do that, I'm going to take pictures of it because we got to post that today <laughs> and then uh then i'll start finishing up on the new telly that i'm doing with um it's really cool idea on, on uh, a pickup design that has the old nails from these bones of old new york wood that we use the cut nails from the 1800s they're actually iron yeah. and they have a little square head they're all square cut nails that were used back in those days and we're cutting them short, and we're going to use them as magnetic pole pieces in the pickups. Well, yeah, we were talking about that skim top sort of Chelsea Hotel wood. Yeah, for that's the going to be the bobbin. We're going to too. use like a Chelsea Hotel really wood cool. bobbin and have the uh, the cut nails protrude through as so pole good. pieces. So it's going to be kind of unique and ought to give it a growly sound that we're going to dig. I think it's going to be really cool to do like sets of those to sell at some point too. Because people are always asking for Carmen Street Guitars pickups. and God knows cool. we got enough nails. We got a box, yeah, cool. a giant box of nails. <laughs> We'd save all the nails. Yeah, save every nail. I was originally going to have a, a guy who was down, a blacksmith right? melt them down and use them as maybe pick guards or something. But I like this idea almost better. Yeah, which is way cooler. Yeah. Yeah, the idea is to take a, a, you know, a regular Tele lead pickup and remove the bobbin, only... We're going to have the pickups actually manufactured from scratch this way, whereas the top bobbin will be a piece of wood from the Chelsea Hotel that we use in necks a lot, that wood. And that will have protruding out of it the heads of the cut nails as the pole pieces. So the cut nails, being that they're iron, they're forged old nails from the 1800s, they'll have magnetic quality and they'll be used as the actual magnet where's, pole pieces. Where's the one, didn't we just, where's the, oh, it's right here, right? It's like this, Mike. Yeah, that's just with a plastic bobbin, but yeah. that one there has the wood bobbin, you can see it. So, well, here, Rick, yeah, it's, it's a bridge a pickup. Yeah, it's just a lead bridge pickup, and uh, instead of the bar magnets, it has cut nails, and then the wire wraps around it and it makes a new kind of pickup with iron pole pieces that are actually 1800s cut nails that they built these whole buildings all the buildings down here framed out in what we call the bones of old new york it's the uh wood that all these old buildings are are uh, framed out in 
and it was old growth timber that were trees that were about 300, 400 years old, and they were cut about 200 years ago. And the wood has been seasoning indoors, these old buildings. And nowadays, a lot of people want to remodel their homes and open up the walls and make bigger kitchens and whatnot. So there's a lot of wood that's discarded, and that's what we do. We go get that wood, and we use it because it's incredible wood that is just discarded. Uh, you know, it's from old-growth timber, which you could never buy. It's, you know, yellow and white pine, which is incredible wood for building guitars out of. It's really resonant. And uh, it's free. <laughs> we go dumpster diving <laughs> and get it for nothing because they Where don't really bring it understand this what point. this wood is or What's how good <clears throat> it is. The nails, do they make the guitar sound, does it sound different? We don't know up? yet. We haven't really heard how it's going to sound. This yeah, is, this a, is kind all of a yesterday. new experiment. This just happened it's, yesterday. Yeah, this is a brand new thing yeah, for the shop. A friend of ours at MJS uh, who makes pickups, Smitty, Smitty kind of had the really idea cool. and it sort of triggered an idea I had. He didn't actually say what his idea yeah, was. Yeah, we talked about this said, a long time ago. He said, save your nails. And I went, oh, can you <laughs> magnetize my <laughs> old nails <laughs> and Sunday. I can use them in pickups? And he just laughed, and you know that was what he was thinking. And this yeah, we is what a, we're trying. We had like an hour-long phone conversation yeah. yesterday about all that, and so we're yeah. This is gonna be. That's cool. a new project we're working on today. <laughs> I don't know how they're gonna sound, but hopefully it's gonna be even bitchier than it was before. <laughs> <laughs> bitchy is good, right? Yeah, bitchy. <laughs> good bitchy, yeah. not bad bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you working on today, little Cindy? Um, I'm working on that Audio Mac guitar. There's this company, Audio Mac, that um, they have a studio and they do a lot of shoots and stuff, but they're kind of like a promotion company slash recording studio. They have an amazing space over here, um, right off of Bleecker and Broadway. I think they're over there. But um, they wanted this crazy logo offset guitar that I have to incorporate the... Uh, I had to make wooden pickup covers for it, and I actually have to, you know, I have, I have to figure out how I'm going to paint the bridge and all that. But I'm working on the neck for that right now. So that's a commission piece, right? It's a it's yeah. Like a that's theme one of my custom, custom orders. logo theme yeah. guitar. Yeah. So I'm going to work on the neck on that. Try and get that shaped. Well, probably stain. Well, yeah. I got to stain the fingerboard, um, and start shaping it. I just got the. The mother of pearl inlays in the side this morning. So, you know, um, what else is going on? I think it's just all necks right now. <laughs> this is neck week. It's neck week. <laughs> Doing a lot of necks this week. Yeah. We make our own necks from the same wood we make the bodies from, which is the same wood that we get from these old buildings at Old uh, Bones of Old New York, Barry Pine. And uh, nobody else uses it for necks, but. It just it makes an incredible neck. The necks, you know, come from trees that grow perfectly straight. The necks want to stay straight. The quarter song. And they just resonate and sound so good. They're so warm tone comes out of them. Don't well, give away yeah. those secrets. Don't give away those secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is with the these two, well, one of the necks actually that I'm working on. No, two of the necks that I'm working on right now both have truss rods, but... You know, I mean, when did you start using the no truss rod sort of thing? I mean, that's a whole different. That's yeah, a whole different I guess probably game. good twenty or so years ago. I mean, it's nothing new. I mean, classical guitars 
have never had truss rods, you know, until like the 80s. And some, yeah, some but of for them the did. electrics, though, but, nobody uh, ever did that. Yeah, nobody ever did it for electric guitars. I mean, it always seemed like steel string instruments <clears throat> with 250 pounds of string tension were never going <laughs> to let a neck stay straight. Usually the string tension wins out. And that's, that's true with a lot of hardwoods, even the maple that most necks are made of. If you think about how maple trees grow in the forest, it's a deciduous forest or just a conglomeration of lots of different hardwood trees that all have a malleable uh, grain structure so the trees can get through the canopy to get to the sunlight. So they have to be able to move and bend. Whereas pine trees, they don't grow that way. You know, they're ancient trees. The oldest trees are, are uh, conifers. They grow perfectly straight. Yeah. And their, their branches are conical so that they have room for each tree to keep plenty of sunlight on them. And uh, it just makes a perfect musical instrument. That's why conifers for 5,000 years or more have always been used as soundboards on all instruments, including <laughs> pianos and cellos and fiddles and violins and everything else. Well, with all those, with all the uh, the new truss rod next to you, you can really hear that. Yeah. With not having wood missing in the middle, not having a rod in there. Right. You just have the the molecular structure of the the wood grain there. You can kind of hear that D and G yeah. string come yeah. a little more alive because yeah. there's no channel underneath it or a metal rod running down the middle of the neck. So if you can do without it. And Martin guitars, they never used truss rods because Gibson had the patent on the truss rod back in the day. And, and so they always made their necks with really good wood, really straight grain mahogany, quarter sawn so that it wouldn't flex very much. And then they would build a little tiny back bow into it. So when the necks came forward, it was perfectly straight. And to this day, they're still staying straight. So, you know, it's a proven thing that works. And, uh, you know, you don't see truss rods and bass fiddles or violins either. Even though they have much shorter necks, a bass fiddle has a longer neck than a guitar. It still has yeah. no truss rod. Yeah, people get shocked when they know that we've made the basses with no truss rods. Yeah. yeah. That well, this wood G is that was strong. on tour with what, Roger Waters? Yeah, he used that bass all, all the around place. the world in every kind of weather condition imaginable. And... It just didn't move. The, his guitar tech kept looking at it, wondering when it was going to move. And <laughs> G. Just, Smith? Yeah. G. Smith, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was one of the first uh, <laughs> basses I made with no truss rod and quarter sawn. You use the yellow pine. It's a little stiffer. It's a little harder for that. But uh, it just makes an incredible sounding bass, especially because of the low frequencies. This wood just really Doug favors. Fur? Yeah, it would, Doug fir, yellow pine, very they're, similar. They're a lot similar, of them, yeah. yellow pine, the Doug fir comes from out west or down south. And they used a lot of it in some of the buildings that had heavy machinery. They <laughs> needed a denser, heavier wood to hold up the heavy machinery. Did he have a Chelsea rows. Hotel one? Where was uh, it? Yeah, he had a, a Chelsea Hotel, yeah. Chumley's Chelsea. Chumley. Yeah, CC, cool. he calls it. <laughs> <laughs> What is Chumley's? Chumley's is an old speakeasy, one of the oldest speakeasies in, in Greenwich Village, which during Prohibition, by the way, uh, Greenwich Village had 15,000 speakeasies, and this was one of them, the building we're sitting in right now in this back yeah, room. Yeah, the back walls, the back of the house right yeah, here. There was, really it cool. was like the, put, the walls the were put up in about nine, 1900, and it was a dance hall during the, you know, the double O's. And then when it oh, came wait, where to, are we right now? <laughs> oh, we're at 42 Carmine Street. Yeah, New York City in Greenwich Village. And, and we have the original speakeasy door. Yeah. Right you, Mike. Yeah. yeah, it's a classic. So cool. Joe sent me looking through a little peephole 
see who was in, out there Since and the whether or not to now. let them in. <laughs> you know, that door was here originally from the hallway of the house. They would come through the hallway of the house, and then they would enter this back room in private. No one would know. And uh, they would serve liquor back here, back when you could get liquor. So <laughs> great. <laughs> this is right around when you were born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm 18, uh, what was that, 1850? Oh, no, that was 1950. <laughs> he, always, he always starts telling stories from the 70s, and he's like, Sin, like, do you remember that? Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I wasn't there. You're thinking of someone else. <laughs> <laughs> How's that other girl? <laughs> there were girls around in the 70s, yeah. I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's the other thing with... Uh, McSorley's too. We got wood from McSorley's and oldest bar in New York. Yeah, and it was the last one to let women in. What yeah. was it, nineteen seventy eight or something? It was the last <laughs> bar in Hold all out. of the U.S. No chicks allowed. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, um, good ale, raw onions, and no ladies. That no was one ladies. of their slogans. That was their slogan. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was yeah. "Be good or be gone." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so great. Oh uh, yeah, the second slogan is probably a little more welcoming. Apropos. The first thing yeah. Rick, the first thing that Rick had me do when I went to McSorley's, he said, "Go in the men's room." She had these big fancy urinals, and the women's room is like a piece of shit. And it's like <laughs> it's like the only bar that's like that. Yeah, they got these six foot marble. I, you know, Old urinals. Town is too, though. Yeah, they got Old the Town's too. Got, did you see? You didn't even see those ones yet, Not though. Yet, you didn't no. go in there yet. But I Old Town's the, the same yet. way. The women's room is up the stairs, all the way upstairs where the kitchen is, and then the, the men's room is downstairs. It's all fancy in the main room. Then they have one of the the uh, the original longest working dumbwaiters still, too, there, mm. which is kind of cool. Oh, uh, which bar is that? Old Town. Old Town. Town. Like East 18th, yeah. That would be cool to get wood out of there, actually. Yeah. I would want wood yeah. from there for sure. It's one of my favorites. Late night raid. Yeah. <laughs> Sneak over there. You guys are gonna dress up like repairmen. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out a way to get the wood. Uh, you got a loose beam in your basement. <laughs> so well, Kelly man, how did you uh Tell, tell me the story of, you know, kind of when you started and, and how you started. What got you into all this anyway? Well, growing up, I was, you know, never really a musician growing up. I just kind of fiddled around with uh, stuff and just full, kind of fooled around, just kind of like I do now. No, it's, uh, <laughs> but the, the instrument making thing, I guess I was in high school last year, art project. I made a, a uh a ukulele made from a uh, cigar box. Cigar box ukulele was the first yeah. thing I made. Got me inspired. And what I, year was that? 1968. 68. Yeah, that was the, the 69 year I graduated. And then I went to uh, Merrill Institute College Park down in Baltimore. And I was thinking about doing Appalachian dulcimers because it looked like a simple instrument. And I could use that money uh, to help pay my tuition or just to feed myself. Going to college was expensive even then. What's an Appa Appalachian dulcimer? Appalachian dulcimer, yeah. It's like America's really true, only true instrument that was really developed here. There's no record of it coming from Europe. They actually, the Europeans 
that came here and had musical instrument making backgrounds from mostly Germany, most of the Germans that settled in the United States back in the uh, late 1700s, kind of brought some of their own instruments with them. And then when they needed repair and building, they started uh, thinking about what to make. And the Appalachian dulcimer kind of developed down south in the Appalachian mountain regions. And it was a four-stringed or three-stringed instrument, actually. And, you know, every culture seems to have a one- or a two-stringed instrument. And it's the most basic, simple scale, simple body shape. But these were unusual because it was kind of an hourglass body shape that you would lay on your lap. And you would use a note or a piece of wood, or uh, and you would strum with a crow quill, a quill of a feather from a bird. And it uh, became pretty popular, and all through the 1700s, 1800s, the Smithsonian has an amazing collection of Well, you taught at the Smithsonian, didn't you? Yeah, I, I had uh, classes back in the mid-70s. I taught uh, instrument making there. And uh, then I got to see that collection of Appalachian dulcimers that they had, and it sort of inspired me to continue on making those. I made about 200 and sort of then I got into guitar making at the same time and then guitar making kind of took over the Appalachian dulcimer, especially when I moved back to New York. And that's when you started with the reclaimed lumber too. That was kind yeah. of the, around the time, right? Cause yeah, it was always uh, you know, an idea in my head that why do old instruments become more <laughs> valuable? And it has a lot of reasons, but a lot of it has to do with the wood becoming older and it uh, has sympathetic vibrations that run through the wood, makes the wood more resonant, makes the instrument more resonant. So the more it's played, the better it sounds. The more the wood cures and dries and ages, the better it sounds. The old wood and why it, uh, it sounds better. And so it was easy to find things that you could make instruments out of that were already like a piece of furniture or uh, I know, I was making instruments from church pews for a while there because they were free and uh, or, or just old timbers that you get out of buildings. We used to, I, you know, I kind of went to college in Baltimore and then I moved out into the uh, suburbs of Maryland. Actually, it was just farm country. And I <coughs> would do a Frederick, lot of... Frederick, right? Yeah, it was Jefferson and Frederick, Jeff Maryland. Yeah, down there, kind of um, 30 miles outside of Baltimore. I got an old farmhouse and... And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things I could make instruments. I was poor as a churchman. I didn't have any money. So I couldn't go to a fancy lumber yard and buy expensive wood. So it was like, all right, well, people make instruments from old wood. They get better as they age. So why not start with old thing, old wood to begin with? That's where the reclaimed wood thing sort of started with just being, uh, having no money for new wood. And then... Uh, it, it did make the instruments sound better. You, you find the right woods for the right situation, and uh, it does make a better sounding instrument. So that's, the Reclaim goes way back to the earliest part of my career in the 70s. And now so it's, it's a dumpster a, diving, right? Because you got, yeah. I think you, you, you told me we have some of the Karina from like yeah, the, the old Yeah, the old Karina, actually. Too, yeah, right? I was, that was through a, a dealer of antique woods I was kind of friendly with down there in Maryland. And he would find deals on old wood and, and, and instrument-grade wood a lot of times. And so he was in contact with the factories. And at that time, 
the workers at the Kalamazoo plant in Michigan, where the Gibson factory was, were actually leaving and moving to Montana for the acoustics and Nashville's for the electrics and leaving behind the old factory. And the old guys decided to stay behind and continue making guitars under a different name, which they did. But a lot of the old Carina, they weren't going to use because it had these little Tiniest circle little wormholes. Tiniest little wormholes in it, like tiny yeah, little. Yeah, tiny little wormhole markings. They should see the worm that, the worm that yeah, you made. Yeah. The guitar called the worm. <laughs> but anyway, what, they did. What they, kind of wood is Carina? Carina is like a, a, a South American, I believe it might be African. I think it's South American. Um, it's a very soft wood that they made the flying bees and the explorers out of in the 50s and late in the late 50s and i don't know why they chose to use the carina maybe they had they were just looking for something lightweight because it was a bigger body shape and the les pauls were already pretty damn heavy so they were thinking well we better try to make this lighter so let's start with a lighter wood sometimes called limba but uh the the carina that they bought back then was the wood that i wound up with this antique wood dealer got some that he had sold to another guitar maker down there and he asked him if he could trade them and get a few pieces back which is the few boards that i got i made i think maybe 12 instruments from and i have enough for maybe two more but yeah that was pretty special wood that came from that place but <laughs> yeah the old karina you, you know you, you come so across deals like that i have enough for a couple more guitars yeah yeah, I just got a few more pieces, but it was really nice, wide, old stock, you know. I got mahogany that way, too, back in the 70s. Uh, back on uh, Long Island, where I grew up, there was a, a big boat-making tradition. There was a lot of people who built boats on Long Island, you know, for centuries. And there was a lumberyard there that they used to, that went back to the early 1800s, Kirkup Lumber, and, and they sold beautiful mahogany still to a lot of the boat makers so they had connections you know with honduras and places where the mahogany was coming from and uh towards the, the end of the 80s i was still getting beautiful mahogany from them that was really wide enough to make the whole guitar out of pieces that uh, they would sell to the boat builders and but yeah, you always, you know, you find, you get connections, people will turn you on to old wood, and nowadays we're getting calls all the time, hey, there's a dumpster full of wood over here, come, you know, check it out, or, or people want a guitar made from their, like, uh, architect or something that, you know, they want to have a guitar made from the building that they just designed, some, or redid, and get the old wood from that, but uh, there's lots of sources. So you were so you were on the farm then for what like ten years or something, right? Yeah, 10 so years. that was like where your first shop was. You yeah. had a couple different ones, right? Yeah, and in the seventies, <laughs> I kind of bounced around. I had that was the first shop. It was right on the farm where I lived, and I wound up out in the garage, uh, converted it into a wood shop and a musical instrument making shop. But the bees kicked me out. We had these big giant wood borer <laughs> bumblebees. And they decided they didn't like me there. Uh -oh. They used to come down right, get me right between the eyes on the oh, forehead and sting would me. Have been freaking and uh, I tried plugging their holes and they got even angrier and really attacked me. So I said, okay, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I moved into the house and then I took over the uh, dining room and made that the, the workshop. And then I finally got a little extra money and actually rented a, an old cabinet maker's shop 
had that for a while and moved into another farm with some friends and had an ice outbuilding, had a shop there. So I would last about a year and then wind up in another shop. Those were struggling years. Well, you and you had about ten until here, right? Yeah, seven <coughs> seven shops in Maryland, I think, and then uh, I had my um, one in California. Yeah, and then uh, I had the shop on Downing Street yeah. for a few years. That was that the, was like seventy seven, seventy nine, right? Yeah, it was the first New York City shop. We actually got the shop in nineteen ninety, but. They had to rebuild this whole back room because the uh, we took the wall board off the walls to expose the brick, but didn't realize that under the tin ceiling, the timbers were rotting on the edges where they touched the brick. And That's pretty common, too. That's how yeah. you get a lot of this wood. Yeah, a lot of the wood is where it touches the brick. It kind of rots just there, but the rest of the beam is like never, never saw anywhere at all, and it's still perfect. So they had to shore up the whole roof, and a shoring company came in and looked like a forest of metal poles back here for a, a long time until they shored up all the timbers that were used on the ceiling. Do you have pictures ceiling. of that? No, I wish I did. That was, that was a cool. It looked like a forest in here. It was really <laughs> weird. you know. But they said that we almost killed ourselves because the, the roof was being held up mostly by the tar paper. It was like... <laughs> Oh, man. It was about to collapse into the shop. But it sounds like you moved around a lot. Why Why'd you end up staying in New York? Like, what is it about New York? <laughs> well, growing up here, you know, I mean, most of my shops were in Maryland because you of college. Grew in, well, you grew up in, in the city or Long Island? I, went, I grew up on Long Island, yeah, out in uh, Bayshore. I was born in Jamaica, Queens. And then we moved to uh, Hempstead when I was a little baby. And then uh, I guess I was started school at five years old out, out in, Long Island, in Bayshore, Long Island. So this is home. Then. Yeah, this is home to me. Came back home. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to. Is that why you wanted to stay, or is there something more about New York that's like? Well, you know, when I when I was in California, I, I was doing pretty well. I actually was out there for a few years, and I wound up, uh, you know, having my own apartment, and you know, had enough business, and but it was so rural that I think I fixed everybody's guitar within the first two years. <laughs> And I sold everybody a guitar that I was going to in the first two years. And it was either move to San Jose or to a more populated part of California or come back east. And I always kind of wanted to get back in Manhattan. And so that's what I did. I came back here and found a place in Carmine Street, called my name. And Carmine <laughs> Street actually had like what? Seven other luthiers or something yeah. at one point, which is crazy. Yeah, I had no idea until I moved here that there were so many other guitar makers on this street. I just walked around, found this little store, and said, oh, this is a great little spot. It was either here or a store I found on the Lower East Side, but I chose this one because I liked the landlady. And, um, yeah, it was like Tom Hom, Tom Humphreys, Michael Gurian, uh, Lucian Barnes. Jose Rubio, they were all here on Carmen Street. They all had guitar shops on Carmine Street. Center of the universe. Yeah, and we ended that up, was Michael Someone Gurian's. commented on yeah. that the other day. It was yeah. 42. What's, what's the book that it was in? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, it was like, oh, this totally makes sense. You guys are at 42. 42, yeah. Um, what, what's that book? No. I don't remember. The Galaxy uh, Book. The, yeah. Hitchhiker's. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's the secret to the universe and everything. That's the number. Yeah. And I never yeah. even like, that's our remembered new slogan. that. <laughs> I think I read that book in 60-something when it came out. The Bones yeah. of New York. Yeah. The Bones of Old New yeah. York, the center of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are the meaning of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Michael Gurian on his labels and his guitars used to say Carmine Street, center of the universe. <laughs> Even so back then, great. so yeah, it's got a real history. This block so of cool. of uh, guitar making. <laughs> Has it been weird to watch it change over, since you opened up here? You know, I mean, I always, I never look at that as unusual, and yet that's the most asked question I think I've ever gotten about New York City, and yeah. it's what New York does. It's it's been a city of change since day one. You know, it's always evolving and changing, and. You know, people always nostalgic back to when it was this way and how much better it was. But that's true with life in general. And, and things get more and more complicated. They get more and more populated. They get more and, you know, more, uh, you know, overly unsimplified. And so the simple is what you go back to and nostalgically look at. It's like that was better. But, yeah, I see a lot of changes all the time in the neighborhood. But it's it hasn't been much different than... The whole time I've been in New York, it's always changing and it always will. That's what I was just going to say. It's, it's kind of like how you talk about, oh, what, like, you know, what these trees must have seen. And then they're, you know, they're cut down, brought down the Hudson in these old cool buildings for so long. Mm -hmm. and. It's like, oh, if the, if yeah, the wood they, could actually talk. <laughs> if the wood could talk, the walls could talk. I mean, it's true. You start to you, you think about that. You know, the trees were alive. They're alive, living things. And now they're <laughs> in these buildings you know, holding up the whole wall. And, now they're and the making music. And now they're making music, yeah. <laughs> Interesting life. <laughs> There's a theory in, uh, in like, ghost hunting mm -hmm. um, about, it's called the stone tape theory, where, like, uh, uh, events that are extremely traumatic or emotional get stored in the stone and the wood mm. in, in the uh, in yeah. physical things. Yeah. yeah, I love that kind of theory. I mean, even though I don't believe it really, but I, I love hearing <laughs> it. I think it's romantic and it's. Rick you know. doesn't believe yeah. in ghosts. <laughs> You're like not not nostalgic, but you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much of a realist to really believe it. <laughs> You're too much of a New idea. Yorker to admit that you're nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, fuck it, it changes. <laughs> yeah, but, that's the way it is. But I miss uh, that. I miss uh, that old yeah. record shit. Yeah, exactly. I miss those shot. old guys. Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. I miss the old guitar makers, too, that... We're here, you know, they used to have, Lucian used to come in and sit on my radiator until his ass was burning, you know, all winter long. <laughs> He'd come in to get warm and we'd talk, chat about old guitars in the village and, the, you know, the different builders that were here. And Yeah, it's... Uh, what happened to him? He moved to uh, up uh, in the Pacific Northwest in Saskatchewan and he was building out there for a few years and then he passed away, uh, I guess probably 20 years ago now. No. But yeah, there's no none of them left except me. I'm the last <laughs> of the builders. But we have a couple other builders here in New York. You know, Rick McCurdy, he's down in uh, Tribeca, and um, oh, I can't think of the other guy's name that used to come in. 
I think he's he moved out of the city mm. recently. Um, but oh yeah, what's it, his name? Yeah, I know who can't think of his about. name right now. But yeah, we we still have guitar making friends that are in this area, and there's more coming around. You know, there's a lot of young kids now. There, I can't believe how many guitar makers there are now. Just, yeah, Rick's Rick finally got a cell phone. Yeah, I don't know I if anybody's see, whoever has seen the movie. Uh, Everybody kind of knows that's seen the movie that Rick didn't have a cell phone, but I I kind of made him get one over quarantine and stuff. Is but, it um, a smartphone or is it? A it's flip an phone? iPhone. <laughs> you know, I know. He, he almost went for the uh, yeah. He and I went, went all the, the way. Phone, but now he's looking at Instagram and going. It's like every day he'll like send me like a new builder or something. He's just going, oh my god, there's so many. It's true, there are it's a ton. A, yeah, I mean, it's really the whole industry i guess you'd call it an industry but when there are there individual builders like this it's just a real movement it's really taken off i can't believe the art guitar scene yeah. you know it's like people are using it to express themselves <clears throat> as an art form and, and so i didn't see a lot of that on like when we first started the instagram when i was doing a lot of the the wood burning in the beginning and stuff it's like you didn't see so much of that on there at that point either there's no. been I've watched it, and it's just yeah. like there's. Yeah, I mean, we've got there's a couple of guys like Joey Rope who have every day they post maybe <laughs> ten guitars a day of just other builders, yeah, basically just, like just different ideas. Yeah. and there's so many. It's like every single day there's more pictures of handmade guitars that, and, around the and world. none of them really are doing quite what we're doing to the extent that we are between things like you know one of our. You know, Alex, so we have a customer named Alex who, uh, he's got about 27 of our guitars now. And he's got ideas, everything from, you know, a gun guitar, slinger guitar with, you know, 20 portraits wood burned on it with leather and, you know, guns carved to like, you know, a compound bow guitar where you can actually shoot the arrows like over the strings. It's just, um, you know, they're not quite doing the no truss rod neck thing that you came up with, you know. We get to incorporate so much of the artwork and leather and sort of it's a little bit of a different thing being able to do like anything. Yeah, when you talk about when like I theme that, guitars, it was like a whole nother. It was just a whole nother thing for me. Like, oh, I can literally build anything. Yeah, I can literally build any kind well, of. Well, that's say I always told you know? people who are interested in making guitars. That you know, you just start off with your basic neck and bridge, and you can build whatever shape you want around yeah. it. Almost, it's almost yeah. like anything goes. So, it, it, when it comes to sculptural ideas, you're free to do so many different things. And you know, we have a client like Alex. It's he enables you and encourages you to come up with even more outlandish ideas that you would probably never do because nobody probably would ever buy them. But the more outrageous they are, the more he likes them. So he's uh, almost commissioning pieces of art. Like he doesn't even play them, right? You just well, he's, he, he's, they're all he's playable. Learning, yeah, and he's yeah, learning. They, they, he's got his own style and he's picking it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, his his whole idea is, is freedom and build what you want. And I'll come up with some crazy idea and then you just run with it. And so yeah, that's so what it's we've a lot of doing. collaboration. So that's yeah. the other thing that he's really got great cool. ideas too. He's really yeah. comes up with these really cool ideas to. You know, can you do it? Is it possible? Yeah. And whatever. Well, that's you know? <laughs> nice with the with the custom guitars. Of, with anything, it's you really kind of get to work with the customer. You know, 
It's like I, I, I get a little bit more detailed orders than Rick at this point. Rick likes to do his tea styles and stuff. But, but um, you know, it's like I got I to gotta actually really kind of know someone's story sometimes with, with my builds, whether it's the artwork with the pick guard or, you know, just little details here and there. Well, yeah, you do more like um, the burn, more the artwork on the guitars than Rick's are more of a straightforward builder, right? Like, like what? Yeah. Like, what's the? Yeah, I guess like what's the difference well, between like the way you approach building and like from Rick? Ooh, I mean, mine aesthetically, it's you know, like I'm kind of inspired by. I'll get inspired for for example, it's like I have a couple signature guitar models one's inspired by you know like the whole moto look like i grew up with the punk scene and rock and roll so it's i wanted to use you know like a black leather jacket kind of a theme on one of mine and that's so like as, like a greaser kind of biker yeah, yeah like it's got like I, it's, it was like you know rick how do we make like an actual zipper pocket on the pick guard you know and that was a collaboration with carol who is the you know the old school leather worker and so it's kind of like between that and like I, the one day I ended up in the back of St. John the Divine and I just went, oh my God, like I got to put a cathedral on a guitar. So we made, you know, the shape kind of based off of that, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I would say like I kind of I kind of have a little bit of a, a different thing aesthetically for sure. Yeah, they're, I mean, it's, uh, it's really nice that you can incorporate your artwork and what you like to do artistically on the instruments yeah. and people will commission you to, to uh, you know, do something that personalizes it for them and makes it their own and uh, usually has to do with drawing or painting or, yeah. or, or a theme that you want to work around. And I mean, I did a lot of that for years, but I, I just like making really simple, <laughs> you know, really workable tools for making music. Yeah. That, well, you know, have that's little the number differences. one regardless of yeah, the aesthetics They have to play right. And it's, a tool it's all about the music. tone yeah. and, and all that. But it's really nice also to be able to personalize them for the customer. Yeah, when it, when it's, when it can be appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> but I've built really simple things too. I just, I take it build by build. <laughs> but I, what I'm saying, like, it's interesting to see, like, Rick is your mentor, but, like, you have taken the knowledge that he's given you and you have an, a unique approach to it. Yeah. That That's not the way Rick would approach it. But in a lot of right. ways, like, you're still drawing from his influence. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that the way he builds is, you know, that's that's why I, why I came here, you know. I mean, I, I was following Rick's work in high school, you know, on the gear page and all that stuff. And so when I decided to to start building, Rick was number one on my list. Like, where where would I go for that? You know, I didn't want to go to a school out west. And I just loved that he was taking, you know, he had that historical relevance thing going on. And he was just, you know, sort of doing everything that he was by hand the way he is with these. I mean, the, the old machines are... <laughs> Kind of crazy. That was that was a little bit nuts when I started here. I was a little, little bit afraid. Well, ex well, explain <laughs> that. Still a little. Am, like but he uses, like <clears throat> he doesn't make guitars like everybody else does. Well, yeah, right. So no computers. 
Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no computers. No computers. Well the, well, the, well, the first thing is that we use the Masonite templates, right? Like Leo used to. Yeah. So we like hand you. make the templates as well mm -hmm. as the guitar. And a lot of builders out there now, even, the. You know, what they, is, they well, what of, is a, a template for somebody who doesn't know? A like, template is the basically. Uh, I mean, how do you? It's, well, you know, it's, it's attached to the back of the instrument, and you run it on a pin router, the pin router, that which we is have. a kind of an upside down router, and so it's like an outline of the shape. Yeah, of the it's yeah. like the finalized yeah. Yeah. shape it, uh, of whatever. The pin router follows that pattern that you attach to it, <laughs> and that's the way Leo Fender made his originally, even with Masonite templates. And, and then you guys have over. unique shapes. Yeah, right. you can you can just make it in masonite first, and then transpose it in wood later you know, on the machine. Uh, the machine will follow whatever you make in masonite. But you you're know. still hand pushing it. Like you, oh, it's yeah, basically yeah. a pin that comes up on the table. It's sticking out a little bit. Your template's flat on there, and you push the template along the pin, and the router bit comes down <clears throat> an eighth of a an eighth of an inch each time. On different, uh, hey, Neil. Got a customer. Neil! All right. The stuff we really like to listen to is, jazz. I mean, between my... It's oh, like geez. jazz. BGO. BGO. B no, it's not. <laughs> That's what I listen to. I don't know what Roy, you listen to. Whatever Roy, you put on, I Rick turn off. Roy Buchanan. He likes Root Boy Slim. He always puts Root Boy on. He loves Frank Zappa. He loves Blind Willie Mattel. We listen to a lot of this. We got stuff. all the old blues guys here. We got everyone. We got everybody. All the old blues guys. You know, Charlie Patton, yeah. Willie, all the guys from the <laughs> 1920s, all the way up until Chicago blues in the 1950s and 60s. And then I have a lot of chess records. We got her all. Goth rock and German electronica that Rick can't stand, but we'll still. That stuff's freaking to. So you just give like a basic like, you know, thanks for listening, kind of thing. So wait, do you want to do, who just me or either one of you guys can be like, hey, thanks for listening. Fucking <laughs> 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 Rick. Oh my god. You can elaborate. <laughs> well, what? I mean, we'll we'll be back next week with another wonderful story about Carmine Street guitars. And the village weirdos. The village weirdos. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> the village weirdos. Listen to the Bones of Old New York podcast. It comes out every other Wednesday. Next, we have Natty Frenchie from the Scatolites. Do you love consuming bad content? Do you often crave wasting your time watching anime? Hello, I'm John Weigel. I need a fucking cigarette right now. I don't smoke. And that's my buddy, Rob Halley. And this is Bad Anime, the podcast where we decide, is this anime bad? So each week, myself, as someone who grew up on Shonen Jump, and Rob, who's basically a 90s anime boomer, test my theory that there's no such thing as a bad anime. I personally think no anime is technically bad. I, I, um, that, is the, that is the most endearing thing I've ever heard you say. We'll go through a new anime every single week. Some that are historically bad, 
You've never heard of school days? Some that are historically good. But what if I said it like Joey Wheeler? Neon Genesis Evangelion. And some that you may have never even heard of. After I got rejected, I shaved and took in a high school runaway. That's the name of the show. Wait, that's the name of the show. So, if you love the art of anime, a good laugh, and want to join our Weeb Awakening, why not waste your time with us and join our weird cult? Wait, wait who wrote this script? Bad anime. We're going to be available literally wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, legitimately anywhere. Starting Wednesday, February 2nd. We also like beer. What are shots? Yeah. Cool. It's bad. Anime. In your ears. Podcast Network. All right, class. Settle down. Everyone sit down and shut up. I'm putting on a movie. Don't you miss the days when your teacher was so hungover, they just threw out the lesson plan and put on a movie? Well, that's every day here at Video High. Our curriculum caters to those who love the least loved films in cinematic history. The idea that this movie has a coherent A plot, let alone a B or C plot. This movie's too stupid. And then they do, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> they wrote this. <laughs> like, good job, guys. Join Casey Regan, Greg Hansen, Josh Roth, and myself, Jamie Kennedy, as we plumb the depths of video not-so-classics. This movie is sort of like a boner. It, like, is embarrassing to those who make it and offensive to those who see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whether we think it rules or is actually total junk, hijinks will ensue regardless. Who else's favorite character was the bartender pirate? The set was good. That was like a side character who had a lot of fun business. The fart joke was motivated. (laughs) Video High is your B-movie education. And ours. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to talk movies with you. The movie is rated PG-13. But I do not know who over the age of 13 <laughs> this is aimed at. Great question. I mean, we're coming to find out. Me. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's us. Welcome, Welcome to, to Video, Video High. Video High. Uh, that doesn't suck. Uh, 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 in, in your, your ear. ear. Podcast Network.